Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Spirit this morning. That we may hear your word with joy. That is this word. This word is our life stream. We do not live by bread alone, but by the word that comes through Christ and his spirit. Make us hungry for your word this morning, that it may nourish us, that it might feed us the words of eternal salvation. Father, we thank you for this church. We ask for your hand of protection from the evil one. We pray for our children. Bless them, Lord. May they have their desires filled with you. May they love you. May they seek you and find. Lord, protect our marriages. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting, for those who are sick. We pray for Miss Cynthia. We pray, pray for Miss Claire and for Dr. Lynch. We pray for JM. Lord, heal them. Whether by supernatural power or by medicine that you have given us, Lord, have mercy. Father, we pray for our community in which you've placed us. We see all the workers in the fields. Lord, bless this crop. Keep our farmers safe. Bless our parents that send their children to the schools. Or for our parents that homeschool. Lord, may Fayette County be different. Not because who we find here, but because of who you are and what you have done for us. Father, we pray for our sister church, Grace Presbyterian in Union City, as they seek a new minister. Lord, they've been without a minister for two years. I pray that you bless them. Father, we pray for University of Tennessee's RUF. May the students at UT Knox hear the gospel proclaimed. May you bring up another generation of faithful men and women who are eager to serve your church. Father, we pray for our president and for our vice president, for those you have placed in authority above us. Lord, guide them by your wisdom and the truth that comes from Scripture. 
Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Jeff and Katie Saunders. Bless their children. Bless Jeff's ministry as he starts and begins an RUF ministry. Lord, we pray because we know you hear us. Lord, we pray because you, we know that you are here with us this morning. And we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This past Thursday night, our session met in the Narthex, and we discussed the capital campaign that we kicked off in 2020, the middle of a pandemic we kicked off a capital campaign to build an addition because we needed more classrooms. We needed a youth room. If you've been to our youth group in the past month or so, we used to meet in our narthex, and we would have about 15 to 25 students. Well, recently, we've been averaging around 40 students. It has been by God's grace that he has blessed us with such a building and despite beginning this campaign in a global pandemic, we have seen the Lord bless us. Not just with number of students, not with just the number of children, but for places for our children to be taught the word of God. To be loved. And now is not the time to give you an update on the capital campaign. That is actually coming very soon. But why I say that this morning is because the reason we raised money, the reason that we built these new classrooms, all of it wasn't for the sake of those rooms. It was for the sake of the vision and the mission of this church. We wanted a building. We wanted the resources. We wanted the Bible studies. We wanted to enrich our Lord's Day worship because we have a vision that you can read on the front of your bulletin. We are a church for the glory of Christ and the good of Fayette County. The addition, our capital campaign, was all so that we might fulfill this mission. We needed that building. And after we've had these, the flood and the repairs, we see how important a building is to the life of the church. But the importance isn't the building it's that men and women and children might come to know Jesus. That they might know that it is Jesus who is giving new life to sinners. That we might know that we are not just the end ourselves, but the end is that all of creation prays Christ Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. And our aim is to proclaim boldly that God is amongst his people. That through the power of the Spirit who lives in us and is here with us this morning, that he might empower and enrich us to be in Fayette County. To call people to repentance. To produce faith and belief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But this, this is what's great, is our aim isn't small. It's not just for the sake of Fayette County, but it's for the ends of the earth. That every knee should bow at the name of Christ. That is what this building is for, to proclaim Christ. That is our mission. We didn't get that mission drawn from a hat, as you might expect. We got that mission from our scriptures, from this text that we received this morning, along with other texts like Luke 24 and Matthew 28 and Acts 1. All of these accounts give us a ground for what we do into our mission, which is evangelism. The spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word and the sacraments and through the testimony of God's people. This is what's happening. Jesus has died upon the cross. Just a hundred hours before this, Jesus had been in the upper room with his disciples. Less than 72 hours before this, Jesus had been publicly tried, flogged, crucified, and placed in a grave. And Jesus, on that Sunday morning, found out that Jesus was no longer in his tomb. And what we find here in this text in John 20, verse 19, is that on that exact same evening, Jesus appears to his disciples, and they cannot believe it. This is what Luke says in Luke 24, verse 37. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Because John introduces to us, they were in a room with the doors locked. They were trying to keep people that were outside on the outside and keep the people that were inside, inside. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears, and they thought they saw a ghost. This is what John is implying. And as much as I love R.C. Sproul, and I love R.C. Sproul, what he says is that there's actually nothing in this text that explicitly says that he miraculously came into the room. Okay, R.C., I get it. It doesn't actually say he passed through the door. But what I want to argue is that that is what the text implies. And I said last week, last week we saw Peter and John come to the tomb. John got there first, and then Peter barged in and went and saw the linen cloths there, saw the face cloth, but that emphasis that John is putting on those linen cloths are that they are lying there as if Jesus had passed through them. How some, somehow, supernaturally, 
gone out of the linen cloths. They were lying where the body was supposed to be. And I think John does this for two reasons. One, John 20 is contrasting. It's the antithesis of John chapter 11. When Jesus told Lazarus to come out of the grave. And how did Lazarus come out of the grave? Wrapped in his linen cloths. He needed help. He couldn't get them undone on his own. And yet here we find Jesus, his body is gone, and the linen cloths are lying there. John is intending us to see something new is happening. The second, in the same vein, is John wants us to see that the beginning of the new creation is upon us. Something is happening, something more glorious than we might ever be able to understand until the, Jesus returns. R.C.'s right, it doesn't say he passed through, but John records these events so that we might understand his intent. Jesus showed up in this room, and nobody knows how he did it. He can pass through linen cloths, he can pass through doors. But here's what John wants us to see. Jesus is real. Jesus isn't a ghost. Jesus is alive. This is the importance of why we read from 1 Corinthians 15, and that lengthy passage that Blake read for us. This is the point. This is what Paul is trying to say. All of this matters. It really means something. Mary, in chapter 20, went and held on to Jesus. Jesus offers himself to the disciples. Feel my hands. Feel my side. Later in John's gospel, we will see that Jesus will actually eat and drink with the disciples. But yet, somehow, Jesus, in this new spiritualized body, is able to go through linen cloths and walk through doors. This is what Paul tells us from 1 Corinthians 15. He does not explain how it works, but he tells us what is true. Is that in the resurrection, we will go from earthly to heavenly bodies. That we'll have go from perishable to imperishable, dishonorable to glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power, natural bodies into spiritual bodies. They will be changed. And this is where John quotes Isaiah 25, because this is our hope. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus has this body that you can touch, where he can eat, where you can see him, because Jesus has this, death has no strength over him. For this is what Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is what Paul says. This is the gospel. This is the truth of all the scriptures. That sin and death have been vanquished through Jesus Christ. And we, his people, receive those promises through faith. 
Why is that important? Why is the teaching about the resurrection from the dead important? And I'll, I'll go a little bit farther than Blake did this morning in Sunday school, which goes to show every time he teaches. I, might, I, don't, I just don't know why I preach sometimes. Why is it important that Jesus wasn't a ghost? That he was raised in glory with his body? Because everything that Jesus promised that he would do, he has actually done. Jesus predicted three times he would die in all three Gospels. Jesus predicted that he would raise. In John's Gospel, he predicts that the temple will be torn down in three days and he will build it up. He predicts that they would see him again. Everything. Everything that Jesus has told his disciples is coming true. He is the faithful one. He has done it. And however incomprehensible this new body is, as incomprehensible as understanding that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, we know that he is faithful to his promises. We know that what he says he will do. And that has major implications for us, his people. Because us as his people, through faith in this Christ, in Jesus, we know. We have been promised. We no longer fear death. Even in his dying, even in his burial, where his body never saw decay and he was not left to Sheol, we know that his work is done for us. He said it was finished. But that's not all that he promised. Remember in the upper room, the other promises that he gave his disciples? He promised he would prepare a place for them in the Father's house. He promised that he would give his disciples the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He promised that he would stand in the presence of God on their behalf, interceding for them. So as they prayed to him, the Father would hear the prayers of the saints. This is all that he has promised his disciples. And now he's promising to send them into the world. And if, Je if Jesus has been faithful in the past, we know. We know. If he's been faithful through his death and his resurrection, we know that right now he is faithful to us. And we know that because of what John tells us in verses 19 and verse 21. How does Jesus speak to his disciples? What does he speak to his disciples? Peace be with you. Now, this can be taken as just a regular Jewish greeting, kind of like how we say hello. But let me say this. Peace be with you coming from someone who's just raised from the dead should have significant meaning. Because Jesus has told his disciples back in John 14, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not that the world gives it to you, let not your hearts be troubled. They're locked in a room because they're scared to death and Jesus shows up and says, peace. Peace. This is the peace that we have received through Christ. Jesus has propitiated the wrath of God. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. 
Jesus has died and raised, absorbing the sting of death and has opened the gates to eternal life for anyone who comes to him. This is true heavenly peace that only comes from Christ. In Romans 1 through 3, we hear a lot of really bad news. Everything after verse 17 in Romans 1, 2, and until you get to the middle of three, it's pretty bad news. The world looks pretty bleak and pretty grim. But then Paul, in verse 21, we see him make this gospel turn. Because for three chapters, Paul has been laying it on the people. And we know what he's getting ready to say. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in verse 21, this is what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. In the first part of chapter 5, Paul goes on to write. Since we have been justified by this faith, since we have been justified by this work of Christ, what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever doubted the love of God? Have you ever wondered about yourself? Could God really have loved me enough to die for me? Have you ever thought... Well, if he really knew my heart, or if he could really see my thoughts, which, which he can, why would Jesus ever die for me? And I say to you, you only need to look at one place. Look to the cross of Christ. This is where you find peace with God for all of the things that you felt in your heart that were not right, for all the things that you thought that were not right, for all the things you did and said that were not right, we look to the cross, and that is where we receive the peace of Christ. Because it is there that he was wounded and we were healed. It was by his blood he paid a price for you. Because here's the... Here's the fact of the matter. You are unworthy. You are unworthy to receive this peace. But it is through the grace of God that he showers his love upon you and gives you something you do not deserve. He gives you Jesus. This is good news. He has come and he's died for us. That is what you most need this morning. Is to look and to see Jesus. And believe on him with faith. And this is exactly what Thomas needed. Right? We always hear about Thomas. Unfortunately, we always call him Doubting Thomas. He, he kind of got, got a bad name. But this is what Thomas has done. Jesus appeared to the 11 apostles, but Thomas wasn't there. And these apostles told Thomas, this is what happened. Imagine that. 
the 11 apostles come to Thomas, and what does he say? I'll believe it when I see it. I asked my wife permission to say this illustration. She's gone, so I just wanted, I asked her if I could say this. Every once in a while, my beautiful and awesome and wonderful wife always comes up with this idea. You know, I'm going to become a morning person. You know, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to work out before going to work. Or I'm going to do this. And unfortunately, my comment has always been, I'll believe it when I see it. Thomas rejects the gospel. Thomas doesn't just doubt. Doubting would be like, okay, maybe. Thomas rejects the gospel. He says, unless I see it, I will not believe. And what do we see Jesus do? Eight days later, he comes and he offers Thomas the same thing he offered these apostles. Come, look at my hands. Touch my side. But what does Jesus say to him? Peace be with you. None of the apostles deserved what Christ did for them. They had abandoned him. They scattered. They locked themselves in a room because they were scared of what the world might do. And Jesus comes to those apostles and proclaims peace even to Thomas and his unbelief. He did not scold them. He did not ridicule them. He did not shame them. He came and he offered them life. The apostles' response, the apostles' proper response should have been, we are not worthy. But this is the grace of God. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is our message as our church. It was Jesus died and resurrected. And Thomas gives one of the greatest professions and confessions ever recorded in the scriptures. He responds with, my Lord and my God. This is a one-time event in history. Jesus doesn't reveal himself in his bodily resurrection for us. He doesn't allow us the ability to touch his hands and to touch his side. But that's why John writes what he wrote. You see, usually in my life, John 20, 30 through 31 has been completely all by itself. It's been written as this is the purpose of the book. Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you, that, and that by believing you might have life in his name. But this is what the apostles needed. They needed what we needed. They need Christ. And yes, we might not be able to see Christ. 
We might not be able to touch Christ, but that doesn't mean that Christ isn't real. We haven't audibly heard the voice of Jesus. But what I say to you is when you read this word, when you hear this word proclaimed, you are hearing the voice of the risen Christ come to me and live. When we come to this table, we believe that Jesus' spiritualized body is somewhere, but we believe that he is here with us and we are feasting upon the bread of life because he has promised that he would be here with us. The Gospels are like documentaries. They typically only tell you of the highlights. This Gospel is a documentary of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you because he loves you. This is what we are called to have faith in. Jesus, the Son of God who came into the world to save the world from its sins. And all of our responses, if they haven't been already, all of our responses should be the same confession that Thomas made. My Lord and my God. This is our God who has unmerited grace, who has bore the curse upon the cross, and he gives us the greatest thing we ever needed, himself. But that's not all. There's more to this passage. Because what do we see Jesus do? In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If, they, if you withhold forgiveness from any, they are withheld. It is the peace of Christ that the disciples received, and it is through the peace of Christ that Jesus is sending us into the world to proclaim this message for all to hear. Because it is only the peace of Christ. It is only through the blood of the cross and the resurrection from the dead that this world has any hope. And Jesus is sending us into that world to proclaim that message. But here's what's hard to understand. Here's, here's the hard part to hear. We are being sent into the world as Jesus was sent into the world. And John has told us for 20 chapters now how Jesus was sent into the world. He was sent into the world and the world did not receive him. He was sent to his own people and they rejected him. He was sent into the world and everywhere was criticized, threatened, plotted against, conspired against, betrayed, despised, rejected, mocked, ashamed, and crucified. And this is the world that we are being sent into. To be in the world, but not of the world. And just as these disciples were sent into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we are being sent here in Fayette County to go into Fayette Academy to go into classical conversations, to go into the fields, to go into the general court sessions, to go into the different gens, 
to go into FedEx and proclaim Christ crucified and raised, or you have no peace in this world. And we are called to die to ourselves and proclaim it's because of Christ. It's because of his grace. It's because of his love that he has had for us that we have any of this. And here's the good news. You might ask yourself, oh man, there's, whew, there's no way. You're right, there is no way. But Christ has given his church everything that they have needed. He's already given himself, and now he gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them the word to be proclaimed. He gives us this table to be nourished and sustained. May we as a church live like confessing Thomas. Where once we are shown Christ crucified and resurrected, our only response is our Lord and our God to the glory of Christ and for the good of Fayette County. We are the laborers being sent into the field to reap the harvest. And we do that by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray.